Welcome to Lumpen Week in Review, the show that covers the past week of news, happenings, and programs presented on Lumpen Radio. This week, we talk about the effect of the pandemic on Chicago politics, how the coronavirus is transforming the world economy, and when sports might return to Chicago. All this plus the Trump Diaries, Size Matters, and AWCYFM, only on the Lumpen Week in Review for April 10th, 2020. John and Jamie chatted with political Shia Kapos about the political response to COVID-19 in Illinois. Kapos discussed how the proposed budget has been blown out of the water, why casino gambling has been dealt a huge blow, and what Governor J.B. Pritzker and Mayor Lori Lightfoot are doing in response. Radio Free with John Daly airs every Tuesday, drive time. How, how do you wrap your head around that? How do you um, find the things to, to, to talk about and, and really kind of size up whether or not what people are telling you is actually factual and accurate? Well... I'm doing the same thing I always do. You know, I'm only turning to sources who I rely on and who I trust and who are in positions of power to know. Um, And luckily, I have a really good source base, so I'm able to go to those same people. Um, You know, it's uh, the one thing that's been difficult is it's changing so much, you know, from the mayor's office could tell me something at 9am, but then they're saying something completely different at 11am. And that's not because they're giving misinformation. It's because the story is just changing so rapidly and information is coming to them so uh, rapidly that that changes their direction that quickly. So uh, that's been the hardest thing, you know, like every, I'm writing for the next morning, but I I'm writing it at night because things are changing all throughout the day beforehand. It's uh, that's been the most difficult, the difficult part. We've noticed that even on the national scale, the, the story is changing uh, often. The Surgeon General just announced that uh, he predicts that this week will be our, as he said, Pearl Harbor nine eleven. I saw that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It is supposed to be the worst. I also just saw probably in that same story that that we should go grocery shopping. Uh, or they're they, not to go grocery shopping during that period because it's going to be so terrible. So I'm a little freaked out by that. Well, that seems to coincide with the the suggestion yesterday from the CDC that people wear masks in public now. Right. Which was right. kind of a reversal. So I, right. I imagine those two things are, are correlated. And, and, you know, when I worked in D.C., we were um, – doing a coordinated effort with the federal government and uh, and Cook County and, and Canada. It was called Tap Off 2, and it was very similar to the the Crimson exercise that they did at the beginning of, of almost a, about a year ago. Oh, huh. um, and it's interesting, in, in large part, the uh, both the, the local, federal, and, and uh, emergency managers are have, have looked at these exercises before, but it, it just in, in live action, it's just so much more uh, difficult to, to manage. Uh, yeah, I mean, the one thing Chicago has really benefited because the um, Dr. Arati, I'm probably mispronouncing that from the Chicago Health Department was very uh, involved in that, and really embraced that test and really committed to it. So I do feel like when she that's why she speaks with such authority, because she and Chicago were part of that test. So um, I wonder you know, down the road when, when we look back on this and the cities that succeeded and didn't, if those who were participating in that test are the ones that uh, came through it better. Can you cut through a little of the noise? Because, I mean, obviously there seems to be a bit of a disconnect between the federal response and the local response. And it seems that um, obviously the local responses, every state is different. 
Uh, it, it seems to me sitting on the outside that the governor and the mayor have done a pretty decent job of, of keeping us informed. But, you know, you, you've obviously got the inside track on this. Could you tell us a little bit about your feeling about how they've handled this crisis that's unfolded? Yeah, I mean, the big criticism by J.B. Pritzker, uh, Cuomo in New York, a few other big governors is um, this is a disease that has no borders. It travels all across the country. So why are we telling governors to deal with it on your own when next door to us is Iowa and they haven't done anything that's statewide about staying at home. So how, you know, that could hurt Illinois. It's like uh, gov- the governors feel like the ones that are adopting the stay at home model are, um, you know, trying to do the best they can to contain it. But if your neighbors, you know, uh, ignoring it, it's like uh, somebody saw, I saw somebody on Twitter say, it's like uh, having a, a peeing section in the pool, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> or, you know, maybe you could say like the smoking section in the airplanes way back right. when, you know, you can't just, it still is traveling inside your state. So, um, uh, I think, I think that is the biggest frustration. Uh, now I'm writing about too, the fact that Republicans here are saying, well, governor Pritzker complains all the time about the federal government, but then look at what, uh, what's happening in our own state. We can't even figure out this unemployment uh, technology very well. So, you know, quit worrying about the federal government and try to take care of what's happening in the state. So um, I think that's an interesting point too. We've, you know, talking about uh, the, the governor and the, and, and the mayor, we've had, uh, as Jamie said, a lot of updates um, and, and they have kept, kept us very informed. What do you see happening uh, in the legislature? I know they were supposed to meet and then it was postponed and we haven't heard much. Everything's been done pretty much by executive order. Exactly. Right. Um, I, they, they are, I don't want to say scrambling. They're talking about it every day. I don't understand why the governor can't issue an executive order that they all meet someplace else. That's been done before when they did construction at the state capitol. Uh, the House of Representatives met at the old um, uh, legislative house and the Senate met at the Lincoln Library. So why not say now you're going to meet virtually? and? The reason is, or the difficulty is, these are, this is the public's, you know, the public has to be involved in this. So you've got to figure out a way that they can meet and that the public can be engaged and have a voice because if you can't have the public be part of it, I don't know, it defeats the purpose of, of our government. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's similar to what's happening in the court system too. You know, you've got uh, a court system is supposed to be open to the public. So that's why you can't have you know, trials or anything like that. Uh, the challenge there is, you know, when you are, if, if somebody's getting arrested today, they have a right to see a judge, you know, in a certain amount of time. They can't just be locked up in jail. So they are doing some of the court work uh, to make that uh, go on. Um, well, I think you kind of bring up an interesting point, Shia. There is a bunch of stuff that on any given day, the state, the legislature, the governor would be doing, and that's all kind of been on, put on the back burner by this pandemic. Right. What are some of the things that um, are kind of being left by the wayside by this? Because, I mean, there, hopefully there is going to be a point when we're not all locked in our homes and, and uh, 
you know, people feel comfortable enough to get back out and, and we return to some sort of normalcy. But I mean, that, that seems to be something that people aren't talking about, all the stuff that, that has to happen normally for a state or a society to function. Well, if you think about the legislature, okay, right now we should be deep into discussions about the state budget that was proposed by Governor Pritzker in February. Well, one, that budget means nothing. They've got to now revamp the whole thing. Both the, uh, the governor and uh, Don Harmon, the Senate president, have told me that, uh, that you know, the numbers are have, they have to change. The, the things that were important to Illinois in January are no longer an issue now. It's going to be focusing on human um, services, uh, the human services aspect ramped up education anything that's falling by the wayside now because of this pandem pandemic is going to have to be addressed in that budget uh, small businesses i mean all think of all these small businesses that are hurting uh, and now there's a ripple effect too you know the agriculture industry is feeling the impact so the the new budget and any legislation that comes up is going to have to address that and i do know the senate president did tell me that it's going to be pared down Everything will be pared down. You're not going to see a lot of new bills calling for, I don't know what, uh, but but everything's going to be focused on the pandemic. So. You mentioned how uh, things are, are kind of uh, dynamic and changing day to day, even hour to hour. I noticed uh, last week, um, so I guess a week and a half ago now, we had the, the passage of the third phase, the Family Cares Act in, in D.C., and they've been talking about a fourth phase. A fourth, yes. Yeah. Which originally was talking about infrastructure and kind of big recovery, typical stimulus types of uh, uh, concepts. But now even that is, is changing by the day. I think it's, you know, there's talks that it's going to replicate more of what was in the third phase than, than what was in thinking about infrastructure and technology and and those types of things. It's, it's wild. I know. It's crazy. I don't know. I don't know at what point they know what they need and when they need it. <laughs> you know, um, I do think in Illinois, um, going back to that other question, I think the legislature, okay, so if the pandemic goes through April and then it peaks in the next two weeks and then maybe we go down for another two weeks, so maybe by May, the legislature could actually go back to Springfield and meet in some capacity. Um, I was I was only half joking the other day. I wrote how maybe they should meet in the Cubs Stadium or the Sox or Sox Park. You know, they could spread out and you know. Um, well, the state owns owns uh, right, right. So <laughs> um, but maybe they could meet that way. And they have talked about if and when they do meet again, it will be accelerated. So watch for them to meet. You know, uh, Saturday, Sundays. You know, with an abbreviated schedule, with an abbreviated. Uh, content, abbreviated uh, legislation, but ramped up time to focus on it. Um, I don't remember what you were asking. I'm sure I deviated. <laughs> well, you know, it, it it's interesting because, again, you bring up, you know, we had an election <laughs> that, that seems to have been totally forgotten about. Uh, right, because right. Because it occurred, you know, at the, at the very beginning of these the shutdown orders. I mean, Shia, what... We, we never even really talked about it. I mean, Kim Fox, uh, you know, saw off a very wealthy challenger. There were another of uh, other important, you know, races down the ballot. What was right. your take on what happened uh, during Election Day? And when will voters see any kind of change from those results? 
Um, well, so that was a primary. So Kim Fox still is running, um, as are a lot of folks. I think uh, the takeaway, and John, you probably know better on this stuff than I do. I thought it was interesting that uh, after all of those concerns about the pandemic and, oh, my God, are we going to be able to vote, that, that we that the election occurred and actually it was an average election. What was it? 33% of voters came out. That is actually pretty good. So maybe it meant that it would have been astronomical had this pandemic not happened, which was also interesting. Um, So uh, yeah, we squeaked through the election. Now you've got Wisconsin trying to figure out whether they have an election or not. And uh, you know, we should be happy that we've made it through, I guess. And now all these candidates, the things that, they have to worry about are when do they ramp up. Smith chatted with Alan Linton about the return of sports in the post-pandemic world. What happens if fans aren't allowed back? And what does this mean for communities that host Major League Baseball? Find out on News from the Service Entrance. It airs every Thursday at 2 p.m. Speaking of sports, uh, on the day that we take this, the, uh, the, the wonderful folks ran by a complete loony tune uh, at Major League Baseball have decided that, hey, here's, a, here's an idea we got. We're going to quarantine everybody in Arizona. We're gonna play baseball, right? No fans, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna do this, and uh, we're gonna put them on TV, and everything will be like it was, and you guys can start playing maybe in May. And federal health officials said it's a good idea. Here's the problem: it's the same problem the NFL has. You have to test players before they play. 
You're right. going to have to, to not the, in the case of the NFL, you have to do physicals and stuff before you start training camp. Anyway, they don't have OTAs. They may not have a camp of, of, of much value. You got to test them for coronavirus on top of that. With Major League Baseball, they had already got started. They had their spring training interrupted, but you're still going to have to test them for coronavirus. The first person that comes up with a positive test of coronavirus once their season gets back going completely derails the season again. Is there going to be baseball in 2020? And if it is, is that a good idea to do it under the Boy in the Plastic Bubble Act? I am... I think there probably will be baseball, but I don't think it's a good idea to do it in May. So let me let me also do my do a classic. I am not a doctor, but uh, <laughs> hello, uh, Doctor Linton. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, you know, I they're trying to get as much of the regular season in as possible, and that is admirable i guess given that that is their job and people are doing their jobs from home but i i don't think there's much value in trying to force back a long drawn out season amid a whole bunch of chaos so the idea once you get back so let's say you get to a point where people are able to be a little less restricted and you can get all the players to arizona you still have to at their families you're talking about exactly right mario testing getting results mm-hmm. regularly and that's not just the do you have a fever or not but actual doing the test the processing of it and, and to your point can you be okay there are athletes with underlying conditions with players being confined to just the ballpark and coming back every day listen the reason why colleges and uh, uh, clusters of people, uh, arenas are closed is because if someone has it, everyone has it. Look at what happened down yep. in New Orleans, okay? Like, like it's not a case – and once one player has it, you can't say, well, we're just going to isolate the player. You have the same problem, yeah. right? And so I think it's more realistic to, to think about half seasons for those mm. that are kind of happening. I think it's a great idea and, and you know, Rob Manfred's not asking me what I think, uh, but if he the should, oh, listen, I I wasn't on the call with the commissioners <laughs> and the president. You should have been. <laughs> but if you think about the, I think about basketball and how people say the unofficial start to the regular season is Christmas Day. Mm-hmm. Why couldn't baseball target July fourth? They already love the pageantry, the the history of the country. You give yeah. enough lead time. <laughs> If if you're allowed to 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 move, you restart essentially summer training, and then have a shortened season. The games matter because there's not going to be a thousand of them. Even though I love a long baseball season, that could be, seems more realistic. But this kind of pseudo play games in Arizona and the same four places that seems like you're asking for a problem. I, I think that's if a, you that's a great to... point. But I I will let me let me just play devil's advocate here for one second. I think with baseball, you have 162 games in the year, right? You have an enormous amount of television money tied up there. There's tremendous mm-hmm. pressure on baseball to get sports programming going. So there, there are, let's just be honest, there's external pressures on that league that probably don't exist for the NHL. Nobody cares if the NHL comes back. The NHL could, could say tomorrow that the season's over and everybody would be like, yeah, yep. whatever, Stanley Cup, who gives a F, you know? Um, right. 
I, I think the NBA is in a bit of the same situation, though the NBA is obviously more popular. I think if the NBA said, you know what, we're done, people would say, it stinks, but I get it. You know what I mean? Maybe there'll be an exhibition and we can watch LeBron do some nice dunks. And, and that's great. You know what I mean? People, people would get that. Baseball, on the other hand, I think is such the fabric not only of, if we're very honest about it, our country in spring and summer and into fall, but of television programming at such a level that we're talking billions and billions of dollars, that yeah. the fact that they're even considering this says two things to me, and, and both Mari and Alan, I'd, I'd love to get your opinion on this. The first thing it says to me is no one gives any care about the gate. The fact that all the teams are actually considering this, we're going to take 30 teams down there, we're going to put them in 10 venues, they're going to play Cactus League ball, says to me that all the people they get at Comiskey don't matter, right? Which is a big middle finger to basically anybody that's a season ticket holder in this league. The second thing yeah. it says to me is that the TV money and those contracts and those relationships are vastly more important to the experience of baseball than the fan experience in the ballpark and moreover to the connection between the fans and the player one-on-one. -on -one. In other words, it's much more important for fans to see the games on TV than it is for them to be able to go to the games, which is a really stunning admission to me in sports. Yep. Because when we really yep. think about sports, you know, Mario yeah. and, and Alan, we talk about this all the time. We're like, I can't wait to go to the Sox game. I want to get a dollar hot dog. I want to get my new baseball. You know what I'm saying? We, we And we talk yep. about that. We're guys. We, we love going. My wife and I love going, sitting in the sun and watching the baseball game. Baseball's just said none of that matters. What matters is we get the games on and we play <coughs> them, and they're on TV for you to see them. That, to me, is a tremendous paradigm shift that I think has large repercussions for how sports are viewed in this country, how we consume sports, and, frankly, how people think about sports. I look at this as finally, in a sense, cutting the cord between teams and fans mm. in their local market. I, I see uh, baseball doing this in the same way that the NFL did, where now they're franchises. They're not local teams. You don't care about the Cubs if you're in right. Chicago. It's just a franchise. To me, this right. is, a, is a way bigger thing than just mm. let's go boy in the bubble. I tell, I'll tell you what, uh, nail on head first. And secondly, um, if I was in the MLBP, I would demand that they open their books up. If you're telling me that the fans don't matter anymore and that you'd rather have us all hold up in one state and 10 different stadiums playing Cactus League baseball, how much money have you guys been making for real? And how much of this money are you willing to throw away if you're saying, I don't need a fan to come. I don't need a kid to come in and, and discover why baseball is such a great sport in person. I rather than watch it on TV. I hear you. I, I would I would be if I was Mike Trout or if I was uh, Chris Bryant or if I was one of these super big. If I was Mookie Betts, who's trying to make all this money, I'd be like, well. I was asking for more money than God, but now I think I want more money than God and God. How much money are you guys actually making? If I was an MLBP, A, I'm sorry, I forgot the A part, I would definitely ask to see the books. And I think that that would be a thing that they should be willing to do if they're willing to sacrifice the fan experience for the television fan experience. Then, yeah, I'd like to know how much are you guys really making? I think there's some real, real interesting realities here as well. Just just even where baseball stands in in the populace. I think that, to your point, 
uh, Jamie, about external pressures. Let's be honest here. The time of baseball being America's pastime and the center of the universe has started to, has faded over the last couple of decades. Absolutely. Agree. As as other sports have, have become now twelve month a year sports. You know, everyone's excited about free agency on July one in basketball more than they would be about uh, going into the All Star game in baseball. And so I think baseball does see an opportunity to say we can be the only thing out there, as well as um, restoring some kind of norm to kind of American life. You could put on a game in the background and go about uh, enjoying things. So I think that, I think that pressure is real. I think though on the second piece for, as it relates to the relationship between fans and money, that would be, I think there are enough examples where these teams, these franchises only care about the next big TV deal, whether it be locally, and you look at the situation out in Los Angeles about where games can be uh, put on which channels, uh, <laughs> all the way to uh, the potential to be able to pay Mike Trout you know, $400 million or these right. kind of big contracts based on projecting out when's the next time we're going to have a new TV contract, whether it be with the larger networks or the local networks. And so I think that is a real admission that there is a massive disconnect either with the target demo or target audience or but but also with the community uh, itself now more people are, are able to watch these games even on a random wednesday night uh you can get three or four million people to a random game in a way that you you, you don't fill up comiskey or any of these other stadiums that said whew, do, would, would it make you more excited after watching uh, a couple of weeks of baseball, to, would you be more excited to get back out there? Or would you would you say, hey, these teams don't care either way. I could save, what, parking's 25 bucks. I could save 50 bucks on food. The ticket, you know, mm-hmm. depending on, the Sox could be good this year. Well, if we had a year. So ticket right. prices were going to go up, go up a little bit. But I think it does raise some real questions that baseball in particular, and I think it's particular to them, have to say about their relationship to fans. And how they built that over the years. And I also think it's important to remember we're talking short term, right? And then there's a there's the bigger long term ramifications of doing something for the sake of we got to be on TV. Um, I don't know, and I've never known if that is always a good policy to do something like that. It, it, it you you just run the risk of really putting yourself in a in a in a bad place and. Uh, I don't know, man. Major League Baseball, uh, with their other one million problems that they have, including their commissioner, this is a real one. They really need to try and and source this out first, although they have not made a firm decision yet. And the other part of that, when they made the announcement, the first thing that popped in my mind is, well, what if a guy is having, and I heard an a, uh, analyst say it today, um, Mike Trout's wife is expecting their first child in August. Is Mike Trout going to miss the birth of his first child? I bet he doesn't. And I'm sure that there are a bunch of Major League Baseball players that are expecting the first child or the second kid to come along that are going to be like, I'm not missing this. How does Major League Baseball deal with that? There's a lot of, you know, <laughs> the rush. It's, it sounds like like they, they got a phone call on that dumb phone call that Donald Trump did over the weekend. It sounds like he got into somebody's head like we got to get back out there right away well 
we getting back out there to me means I get to go to a game. If we getting back out there means I get to watch on ESPN or MLB Network and I'm never going to or I'm not going to a game again in 2020, I'm 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 kind of ambivalent about the season. I'm already like whatever it's over with in my head because I won't get to see the White Sox at their full uh, capacity. That might bode well for them next year by not having to have played this year, but there's a year gone so far. So I'm, I, I don't know. Size matters, size matters. Smith, Kyle, Seisman, Kowski. Hey there, my producer, are you sick? No, it's allergies. Ah, jeez, you sound like the Trekkers after a three-day marching powder binge. Ugh, I know, it's awful. I know a guy's... Well, have you noticed how many episodes start with I knows a guy or this dude over here? Uh, no, what's your point? You've never noticed anything weird? Uh, no. Like, I... I don't have a recorder, and yet these episodes keep appearing. And we seem to keep moving from... Ugh, jeez. Scenario to scenario, I... I mean, do you ever wonder if we're, like, inside a simulation or something? Huh, well, everything seems all right. I mean, uh, we beat the digital land in that simulation back in that size matter 71, and, and that was, like, 17 episodes ago, if I can do Matt right. I mean, that's what I mean. We keep talking in episodes and making references no one cares about. Listen, and... Jess, I got what's going to cure your allergies, I swear. Now <sighs> you got to come see this guy. I'm just... This is just going to be a mess of sound effects and then a jump cut. Do you see what I mean? I mean, how did we even get here? Right, we walked the entire way from the Copro. Uh, you got a burrito at Martinez, and I didn't even get a bite, so I don't oh, even... Oh, yeah, I still have that half in my pocket. Yeah, yeah. Uh, hand-warming burrito. Anyway, this is Pooper's place. Uh, Everyone in Undertown swears by him. His name is what? I don't know, like Steve or something, but... Uh, we all could call him poopers. I'll, you'll see why. I'm not super sure about this, Kyle. Oh, whoa, 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 what is that smell? That is the medicines. Hey, poops, what's oh, going on? God, it smells like Sasquatch's socks died in That's here. the natural medicines. My producer, he has got some allergies. Maybe you could, uh... The allergies of Bridgeport. Yes, the dab and the trees at the bowl. Ugh, seriously, what is that smell? It is a secret substance blended right here of all natural excretions. Just, I'm telling you, I had cancer and poopers, he cleared it right up. I cannot believe that. Let me just smear a little of this here and here under your nostrils. Just breathe deep. Oh, it smells awful. That's the medication. Oh, I think I'm going to puke. Oh, my God. Oh. Oh. Hey. Wait a minute. I stopped sneezing. You just put a little of this on your lip every morning for a few minutes and no more allergies. What's in it? It's a proprietary blend. I can't believe more people don't use these natural methods. I hate that this is working. I just wish we could spread the message to more people. Well, maybe we can. Do you think this is really a good idea? Well, Pooper says this is the way he gets the immunity herds. Uh, by smearing whatever this gross gunk is under people's doors? It's genius. Everyone touches it, 
They get the immunity. I, I'm just not sure. You're so pedestrian. We're going to be hailed as heroes. I, I'm just not sure. Listen, you take a couple bags of this, and I'll take a couple bags of this, and we'll start hitting these door handles. What is this really dog sh- Not entirely. Oh my god, I'm going to be sick. No, you're not. Your allergies uh. are solved. This week on the Trump Diaries, Trump's approval ratings slip as unemployment mounts, Trump fires a Navy captain sickened by the virus, Jared claims the federal stockpile is ours and not for the states, Trump retaliates again against an impeachment witness, Trump takes no responsibility for anything, and Trump's predictions of American carnage appear to be coming true, thanks to him. These are the Trump Diaries. Day 1170, April 3rd. The CDC recommended that all Americans wear face masks when heading outside. The new guidance came in a day when the number of recorded deaths from COVID-19 topped 1,000 in a single day for the first time. Trump, however, immediately undercut the CDC's advice while announcing the guidelines, saying, you can do it, you don't have to do it, I'm choosing not to do it, it's only a recommendation. Trump said he would use money from the federal stimulus package to pay hospitals to treat uninsured people with the coronavirus. Hospitals would have to agree not to bill the patients. Trump previously decided not to reopen the Affordable Care Act's insurance markets. Trump finally invoked the Defense Production Act to help shore up supplies of medical supplies. The act requires 3M to prioritize N95 respirator mask orders from the U.S. government, and it cuts off 3M's ability to export face masks abroad. The move came after desperate pleas from governors and the news that FEMA's stockpile was nearly exhausted. However, it was revealed that despite announcing he had invoked the act against General Motors, it was revealed that he in fact had not. It is unclear why. Dr. Anthony Fauci again contradicted official positions, saying, quote, I don't understand why all states are not under stay-at-home orders. 39 states in Washington, D.C. are currently sheltering in place. Vice President Mike Pence said Trump, quote, doesn't want to tell the states what to do. Trump announced he would name a White House aide as the independent watchdog for $500 billion in corporate pandemic aid. Trump also ousted the newly named chairman of a panel to oversee how the government spends $2 trillion in coronavirus relief. Both moves made in late-night announcements were taken as an effort to chill oversight of how Trump spends that money. Trump ordered that the Navy fire a captain of an aircraft carrier who asked for help for his nearly 5,000 crew members trapped on a warship in the middle of the pandemic. Brett Crozier, who was the skipper of the aircraft carrier, sent a four-page letter pleading for help to other Navy personnel. It leaked to the San Francisco Chronicle. That drew Trump's ire, and the acting Navy Secretary Thomas Modley fired him, claiming that Captain Crozier had cracked under pressure. Modley later confirmed to aides that Trump wanted Crozier gone. And after withering criticism of Jared Kushner, who claimed that, quote, the federal stockpile is supposed to be our stockpile, it's not supposed to be the state's stockpiles that they then use, the website of the Strategic National Stockpile quietly changed its online description. The stockpile, which previously was known as, quote, the nation's largest supply of life-saving pharmaceuticals and medical supplies for youth in a public health emergency severe enough to cause local supplies to run out, was changed to read, the stockpile is to supplement state and local supplies during public health emergencies. Many states have products stockpiled as well. Kushner's statement was called factually wrong, uninformed, and sociopathic by several state governors. And moments after Trump said, quote, this is not the time for politics, the White House released a letter sent by Trump to Minority Leader Chuck Schumer. Schumer had requested a more streamlined leadership support for the coronavirus response, and Trump replied, quote, I never knew how bad a senator you are for the state of New York until I became president. 
Trump then claimed Schumer's request was a Democrat public relations letter and incorrect soundbites, which are wrong in every way. When asked on Friday whether New York will have enough ventilators, Trump bluntly answered no. He then blamed the state. Day 1171, April 4th. Trump fired the Intelligence Community Inspector General, who told lawmakers about a whistleblower complaint. Michael Atkinson, who correctly and lawfully passed the complaint to Congress, triggering Trump's impeachment, was sacked because Trump claimed he lost confidence in him. Quote, he took a fake report and he took it to Congress with an emergency, okay? Not a big Trump fan, that I can tell you. He's a disgrace. He did a terrible job. Absolutely terrible. Atkinson released a statement saying the reason Trump fired him, quote, derives from my having faithfully discharged my legal obligations as an independent and impartial inspector general. Hundreds of sailors aboard the aircraft carrier Theodore Roosevelt cheered off the removed Captain Brett Crozier. He had been sacked for demanding more help as coronavirus spread through his ship. Crozier's firing is being seen as a scandal. Trump nominated a protege of Senator Mitch McConnell to a vacancy on the influential United States Court of Appeals for District of Columbia, despite that nominee being rated unqualified by the American Bar Association because of his lack of experience. Judge Justin Walker has only served six months on his previous assignment and is seen as nakedly partisan. The D.C. court is also seen as a stepping stone to the Supreme Court. The $350 billion small business loan program appears to be exhausted after a rapid and rocky start. Bank of America said that more than 60,000 customers applied for $6 billion in loans. However, it was revealed that due to contradictory advice on qualified businesses, BOA was rejecting people who it should have approved. And Jared Kushner's family business may benefit from a provision in the federal recovery bill. That provision allows owners of apartment buildings to freeze federal mortgage payments on low and moderate income properties. Kushner controls thousands of such units across the country, many of which are backed by a loan he acquired from the federal government in 2019. And Trump claimed he was, quote, number one on Facebook. I have, you know, hundreds of millions of people number one on Facebook. Did you know I was number one on Facebook? I mean, I just found out I'm number one on Facebook. I thought that was very nice for whatever it means. This isn't close to being true. Soccer star Cristiano Ronaldo has at least five times the followers. President Obama has double. And Trump made this statement during a alleged coronavirus briefing. Day 1172, April 5th. Two top administration officials last year listed the threat of a pandemic as an issue that greatly worried them, undercutting Trump's repeated claims that the coronavirus pandemic was unforeseen. Both Trump's head of Health and Human Services and the senior director of the National Security Council told Trump the threat of a pandemic originating in China was real. Trump and Jared Kushner reportedly mocked both of those men in meetings as alarmist. And Trump ended a pandemic early warning program in China two months before the outbreak in Wuhan. The PREDICT program had previously identified 1,200 different viruses that had the potential to erupt into pandemics. The bureau was shuttered. Trump again brazenly distorted claims about the malaria medication hydroxychloroquine for the second day in a row at a White House briefing. Trump stopped Dr. Fauci from answering a reporter's question about the medication, saying, you know how many times he's answered that question? Maybe 15 times. When a reporter noted that this medication, in fact, could currently be prescribed by any doctor off-label, Trump responded that, quote, only CNN would ask a question like that. Fake news. The U.S. naval ship Comfort that Trump dispatched is currently sitting in a New York Harbor idle. Bureaucratic barriers mean it has just admitted 20 patients. On the West Coast, a similar ship has just admitted 15. And the captain who was removed from a warship struggling with at least 200 cases of coronavirus has been diagnosed with coronavirus himself. 
Captain Brett Crozier was subsequently attacked by Trump in a press conference who claimed the letter was a four-page letter from a captain and the letter was all over the place. That's not appropriate. I thought it looked terrible, to be honest with you. Trump waited until mid-March to order masks and ventilators for healthcare workers. The Department of Health and Human Services placed its first bulk order for $4.8 million worth of N95 masks on March 12th. The contracts don't require 3M to begin delivering the masks until the end of April. Trump, in fact, was briefed on the pandemic on January 3rd. And it appears that states with Republican governors are being favored by FEMA. Florida has apparently been given all the medical equipment it has been asked for, while Colorado, Maine, and North Carolina, states that have Democrats as governors, have not. It should be noted that Florida is also a crucial state for Trump's re-election. Day 1173, April 6th. Dr. Deborah Birx said the next two weeks in America will be critical for stopping the coronavirus outbreak. Birx warned Americans not to go to grocery stores or pharmacies and shelter in place across the United States. Dr. Anthony Fauci also warned this week is coming up. It's going to be a bad week, adding that states without statewide and say at home orders are putting themselves at risk. The Surgeon General Jerome Adams called this, quote, a Pearl Harbor moment. It's going to be our 9-11 moment. While Brooks, Fauci, and Adams all pleaded with Americans to stay home, Trump was busy undercutting them. He again floated the idea of allowing celebrants to go to churches for Easter, saying it would be beautiful to see packed churches. In Wisconsin, Governor Tony Evers issued an executive order to attempt to postpone the state's election from Tuesday until June 9th, citing the pandemic. The move was immediately thrown out along party lines by Wisconsin's Supreme Court. It is expected millions will stay away from the polls. Two top aides fought this weekend over Trump's repeated touting of hydroxychloroquine as a coronavirus treatment. Dr. Anthony Fauci had pushed back strongly against Peter Navarro's claims that the information he collected on the drug was science, claiming, quote, his qualifications is that I'm a social scientist. Navarro reportedly told Fauci that he was a second opinion. Now, the drug has shown some promise in limited studies, but also serious and damaging side effects. Trump also owns a stake in a company that produces hydroxychloroquine, that is France's Sanofil. Trump told Fox News Sunday that if ballots moved to mail, quote, a Republican would never be elected again. I think a lot of people cheat with mail-in voting. The Republican National Committee is spending more than $10 million on legal battles related to vote-by-mail this year, filing lawsuits in Minnesota, Michigan, Arizona, Florida, New Mexico, and Wisconsin. Trump notably voted by mail in the last election in Florida. Britain's Prime Minister Boris Johnson is reportedly in serious condition in intensive care. Johnson, who was harshly criticized for his initial laissez-faire approach to the coronavirus, has been suffering from the disease for 11 days. He named his foreign secretary as acting leader. However, Britain's parliamentary system means that a leadership election would have to occur if Johnson is unable to fulfill his duties. The Supreme Court canceled all oral arguments for the rest of the term. Nine cases have been on the docket, including a challenge to the way the United States elect a president. It is unclear what effect this will have on the caseload. The Health and Human Services watchdog said there were major supply shortages and testing delays in hospitals responding to the coronavirus crisis. Principal Deputy Inspector General Christy Grimm, who joined during the Bush administration, authored the report, which was based on data received from hospitals. Trump responded by publicly claiming the findings were inaccurate and politically motivated. It's just wrong, said Trump without offering any evidence. It could still be her opinion. When was she appointed? Do me a favor and let me know. Let me know now. I have to know. Trump also claimed he'd been burdened by an obsolete test for the coronavirus. Initially speaking, the tests were old, obsolete, and not really prepared. The claim is nonsensical. The virus is new. Trump also ordered the tests himself in January. Day 1174, April 7th. A top White House advisor warned Trump in late January the coronavirus could cost the United States trillions of dollars and put millions of Americans at risk of illness or death. 
The two memos by Peter Navarro undercuts Trump's claims that, quote, no one could have known the pandemic was coming. In the first memo, Navarro called for an immediate travel ban on China. Aides discounted this as part of Navarro's well-known anti-China bent. In a second memo sent on February 23rd, Navarro urged Trump to immediately begin laying the groundwork for a $3 billion supplemental spending appropriation from Congress, writing, quote, this is not a time for penny-pinching or horse trading on the Hill. Navarro's numbers and predictions were eerily accurate. Trump claimed the World Health Organization was somehow responsible for the coronavirus. Take a look, I mean, go through step by step, and they said there's no big deal, there's no big problem, there's no nothing, and then ultimately when I closed it down, they actually said I made a mistake in closing it down and it turned to be right. He then said he would impose a very powerful hold on who's spending, and then minutes later denied that he had said that. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said Congress is looking to enact a phase four bailout costing more than $1 trillion. Trump indicated he would support some of the ideas floated by Democrats, including expanded help for small business owners and bailout checks for households. Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin asked for an additional $250 billion to replenish the 350 small business loan program, which appears to be exhausted. Banks have already processed $70 billion in loans for 250,000 small businesses since last week. Trump suddenly removed the Inspector General, who was the lead oversight of the $2.2 trillion economic bailout fund intended to help businesses and individuals affected by the virus. Glenn Fine, a veteran watchdog, had been selected by his peers for the position. The move came despite congressional directives saying that firm oversight and disclosure of the fund was needed and that Trump could not personally benefit from it. Acting Navy Secretary Thomas Modley resigned after his firing of the captain from the coronavirus-stricken Theodore Roosevelt. Modley had fired the Roosevelt skipper, Captain Brett Crozier, last week, claiming the captain had shown extremely poor judgment in asking for urgent help with a COVID-19 outbreak aboard his ship. That move was wet with astonishment, and Modley made matters worse by visiting the ship on the weekend and delivering a profane public rant and upbraiding of Crozier. It was revealed another Republican senator, David Perdue of Georgia, bought stock in a company that makes PPE. On the same day, he received a classified Senate briefing about the spread of coronavirus in the United States. Perdue made 82 transactions on March 3rd. Of those, 76 were purchases totaling up to $1.8 million. He also sold stocks worth $825,000. He is the third Republican to be questioned about using insider information to personally benefit from the pandemic. White House Press Secretary Stephanie Christian was suddenly removed from her post. She left without ever having briefed the press, and she will become First Lady Melania Trump's Chief of Staff. She was replaced by Kaylee McEnany, Trump's re-election spokesperson who has been known for making statements such as, quote, we will not see diseases like the coronavirus come here. We will not see terrorism come here. And isn't that refreshing when contrasting it with the awful presidency of President Obama? Day 1175, April 8th. Wisconsin saw long lines and chaos in their primary yesterday after a bitter battle over whether it should take place at all. Governor Tony Evers had tried to postpone the election until June, but Republicans insisted on carrying on. That meant that just five polling places were open in the city out of a normal 188. Many absentee ballots had also not been received by voters. Results will not be in until the 13th. U.S. intelligence officials warned Trump in November about a contagion sweeping through China's Wuhan region. The report from the National Center for Medical Intelligence concluded it could be a, quote, cataclysmic event. Jared Kushner's Shadow Task Force wants to create a national surveillance system to give the government a real-time view of where coronavirus patients are. The proposed national network, which would use cell phone data, could help determine which areas of the country can relax social distancing rules. However, the project would also be a massive expansion of surveillance in the USA and immediately raises privacy concerns. 
FEMA has apparently been seizing orders of ventilators, masks, and other protective gear bound for hospitals. FEMA has not publicly reported or commented on the seizures, and hospitals have been left in the dark as to whether or not they're going to get access to those supplies at all. And then Trump suggested that, quote, Republicans should fight very hard when it comes to statewide mail-in voting. Claiming falsely that mail-in voting leads to voter fraud, Trump claimed, quote, Democrats are clamoring for it. Tremendous potential for voter fraud, and for whatever reason, it doesn't work out well for Republicans. While Trump claimed yesterday that mail-in voting is horrible and corrupt, he admitted he had voted by mail himself. But, quote, you get thousands and thousands of people sitting in somebody's living room signing ballots all over the place. You look at what they do where they grab thousands of mail-in ballots and they dump it. I'll tell you what, and I don't have to tell you, you can look at the statistics. There's a lot of dishonesty going along with mail-in voting, mail-in ballots. There is, in fact, no evidence at all to support any of Trump's outrageous claims on mail-in voting. Day 1,176, April 9th. Number of people seeking unemployment benefits shot up again last week as 6.6 million more people filed claims. Those numbers are expected to keep rising in the coming weeks. 17 million Americans so far have filed for unemployment. Trump signed an executive order outlining U.S. policy on commercial mining in space. The order was immediately criticized by the Russian space agency, Roscosmos, calling it a pretext to seize planets. Trump's statement says, quote, Outer space is a legally and physically unique domain of human activity, and the United States does not view it as a global commons. Trump claimed his daughter Ivanka created 15 million jobs during a call with business leaders. The bizarre and laughable claim implies that Ivanka created 10% of all jobs in the country, and in fact only 6.7 million jobs have been created in total since Trump became president. It is unlikely that Ivanka created any of them. Trump said he will, quote, take a look at pardoning Tiger King's Joe Exotic. The star of the breakout Netflix hit is serving 22 years behind bars for his role in a murder-for-hire plot. This followed son Donald Trump Jr. describing Exotic's sentence as, quote, aggressive after watching the show in two sittings on Fox & Friends. According to Forbes, Trump has lost an estimated $1 billion out of his paper fortune in the past month as the lockdown forced the closure of offices, shopping centers, hotels, and golf courses. The unemployment rate is now at least 13%. 68% of Americans say the federal government should be leading the effort against COVID-19. However, only 32% of Americans say the federal government is actually doing it. 55% of Americans now disapprove of Trump's handling of the pandemic. These are the Trump Diaries. Studio A has been closed due to the pandemic. Please enjoy this encore selection from Nicole Amin. It was engineered by Ari Shellist. Say, you keep me close while 
This is a WCYFM. There are the bits of information that I've, I feel like I've absorbed while walking through this space. Um, I, I've gone back and forth on whether these, whether, whether these are voices that are speaking to me, um, whether it's in the, the, the spats of unconsciousness that I, that I, you know, in, that I absorb this information, that I learn this information from seemingly no, no coherent or, or, uh, present, uh, observable source, um, or whether uh, I've gone back and forth or, or whether I'm literally just absorbing it from from the walls from what i've seen from from what i've thought i feel i, I, I at times there there's I, I feel almost certain that something has spoken this wisdom to me uh wisdom that that somehow controls what rooms we go into uh, sometimes i get pathologic fears about entering through certain doors as if somebody has warned me about what's on the other side of those doors um sometimes i'm i'm just given given inf- information that i don't information about the news about current events that i don't learn about <laughs> that i don't i don't i can't <laughs> i can't factually verify for several more hours a- as if something something is is predicting them for me it's it's a it's a it's a fifth sense that i that i that i've not felt before well, I, well if it makes you feel any better i have also um been hearing the whispers um from various places, walls. It seems like, uh, although they they don't ever they never really make a lot of sense. I can't really make it out, and I don't. It's hard to gauge if they're something's talking to me or just talking. Um, yes, there's. It's 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 hard to gauge, and I mean some of the we have seen some some of these doorways that we have opened or not opened um, have seemed strange in their own way uh a lot of these doors have black viscous sort of gel Mm -hmm. tar coming out from the bottom of them some of these doors um don't have doorknobs or if they do have doorknobs they've been clearly like ripped off and paved over some of the there are some doors that have been some doorways that have been bricked up uh it's I don't know it's hard to um so we and and we have been seeing more of them as we continue to make our way deeper into the sphere, which is part of the reason once again why we are trying to stay in the beer garden as long as possible Broadcast every Sunday, eight to the Lumpen Week in Review is produced by the staff and volunteers of w l p n l p Chicago, the community radio of the future. The Week in Review is overseen by Jamie Trecker, voiceovers by Shanna Van Volt, additional production by Cole Eisenberg, Julie Wu, Sergio Rodriguez, Neil Gaynor, Lane Gerbig, Alexander Jerry, John Piotrowski, Ari Shellist, and Annie Klein. Live music production by Ari Shellist. The Lumpen theme, background, and interstitial music is by Mike Perkins. The Lumpen radio sting is by Dan Jugal. For more information on Lumpen Radio, visit lumpenradio.com. Yeah.